Welcome to this week's TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. Today, I'm joined by the winner of the TESFE Awards Teacher of the Year. We have Alison Scattergood from East Durham College. Hi, Alison. Good morning. Nice to speak to you. You too. Congratulations on the award. That's fabulous. Tell us about what you do and how you came to win this award. Well, I'm actually a barbering and hairdressing teacher and course coordinator at East Durham College. Now, I've worked here for, for many years now, about 13, 14 years altogether, and I've always taught on both courses. So I now run the whole barbering area myself. You know, students and class sizes have gradually started to get a lot bigger. Success rates were, were getting higher, things like that. And uh, I teach. I actually teach barbering full-time now and don't really do as much hairdressing because the classes have grown that much so that's basically you know what I do I do a lot within that area obviously I teach all the curriculum based stuff but we do quite a bit of extras that wouldn't be part of the curriculum but that I do think sort of builds up student self-esteem and you know just their skills for life and you know talk about when we chat just the extra things that we do above um the course and as for getting the award to be honest, I knew absolutely nothing about it until it was just before Christmas in December that my manager actually called us in for a meeting with himself and the principal of our college, Suzanne Duncan. And at first I was a little bit panicked thinking, what's going on when you get called in with the principal? It can only be something good or something bad. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure I haven't done anything bad. Um, so what's it going to be about? And it was that day that they actually, because nobody had told me that they'd even put a nomination in for me. Oh, wow. So I didn't know that. And apparently they'd actually nominated me a couple of years ago. And I didn't end up getting shortlisted, but I did actually win um, Teacher of the Year for EDC in 2015. Um, So they were telling us that, and then they'd actually put my nomination in, and that was the day they announced that I'd been shortlisted. And she said, you know, are you free on the 23rd of February? We're going off to London. And I was just screaming the office down, basically. (laughs) I was absolutely amazed because they said that they just didn't want to tell us about the nomination. They'd want to keep it a secret. So my actual team didn't know either there was only me manager and the principal knew and yeah. then once that came to light that was when they told me so utterly like you know excited really celebrating the fact that we'd actually made it to the finals you know and to be shortlisted with the amount of entries for FE and teaching I was just honoured to have made it through to that so then to actually get there in February and the night the you know the night of the awards I'm even I'm just smiling thinking about it because that is literally a night that I will never ever ever forget Aww. as long as I live it was just the most amazing moment of my career. I've been a judge on the awards for a lot of years and there's loads and loads and loads of entries so even getting to the shortlist is a massive deal you know, massive, to get to the last yeah. eight is a massive deal, but to win it is amazing. And I'm just reading all sorts of stuff about you again, how you were the first woman to be named a British master barber. That was a surprise one evening. Um, I was doing some demonstrations with students and we had a guest speaker in. And that was when they presented us with that one as well, which was lovely. I'm looking here as well, a member of the Fellowship of British Hairdressers. 
City and Guild's National Barbering Qualification Advisory Panel. I'm looking at all the stuff that you do in industry and which kind of links to what you teach. I think that to be a good teacher in your field, because obviously I'm vocational and it's a very, you know, practical based kind of qualification that we deliver, I've got to still be up there in industry to be able to, you know, give the best I can to students as in delivering them the most current, emerging, up-to-date kind of things, which is why I love me work with City and Guilds. So you have loads going on. Um, loads going on, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. shall we have a whip through this week's TES? This first piece is really, really interesting piece written by George Ryan. The headline is, The Years of Yo-Yo Change Must Come to an End. What this is all about is how constant policy changes aren't creating conditions for success in FE. And this Mm -hmm. comes from 32 secretaries of state with responsibility for FE in less than 40 years. And in the latest FE and Skills System report, researchers from the Policy Consortium question whether further education and skills policy makers and stakeholders are creating the conditions for success or failure. So how does policy change impact the work that you do, Alison? Well, I'll be honest, I think when it changes that much, it filters through into the classroom, doesn't it? Where, yeah. you know, things can sort of end up a little bit confusing, you know, for for students. We, you know, we feel as though we tell them one thing and then policy changes can change and then it's changing to something else. I mean, that's a lot of changes in secretaries of state in the last 40 years, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And each one seems to bring a new set of rules, don't they? Or or, or makes the rules their uh own. So we're never on a straight edge. It's going to have an impact and filter through to the to the classroom because even us as lecturers have to get our heads around you know new policy changes i mean from from my point of view as a functional skills teacher the gcse reset policy has made kind of the biggest impact in this piece it says the english and maths gcse reset policy two-thirds of principals vice principals and governors who have responded to the study feel that it's had the biggest negative impact on their work i think it can have an impact on apprenticeships because obviously from my vocational area like I can have students that are absolutely amazing practically based they really really are they can do you know beautiful haircuts they can work amazing with clients and then because of the the maths and English you know bless them it affects them getting the full framework of of apprenticeships and we as lecturers we are constantly embedding maths and English into our classes we are um don't know if I was to give an example, you know, of if I was delivering some sort of colouring, I constantly go into the mixing, the measuring, the ratios. And I mean, the English is constantly about spelling and reading and speaking and listening and right. But then sometimes when it's transferred into the theory of an exam, it's difficult, you know. But I think if there's been that many years spent in schools, then they do come to us in FE and we expected to get them through within 12 to 24 months of, you know, functional skills yeah. and get them to a really high standard. And it's just not, it's not easy, is it? And it makes you question if if it's the right qualification. And I totally get that GCSE is the standard, that everybody knows what GCSE is. But if they're being chucked into an exam without having made the steps towards having the skills they need to pass that exam... We're just setting them up for failure. This is it. It's very, very, it's a difficult one. Then that's totally knocking 
student self-esteem, confidence, mindset, everything. It has a yeah. knock-on effect. It's a, it's a ripple effect into the whole area then. Tony Davis, who is the report's author, he says, from medicine to engineering, all practical sectors of our society know that adverse symptoms cannot be addressed directly. We can no more fix a brain tumour with paracetamol or a leaking engine with thicker oil than we can poor English skills with yet more poetry. To me, that says, look at the qualification. Yeah. And also there's the impact that it has with Ofsted. Yes. The study says that the relationship between the inspectorate and the FE sector has been undermined by inappropriate comparisons with schools because poor reset results can have a significant adverse impact on a provider's inspection grade. Definitely, yeah. And that seems to be what lots of lots of people are feeling. However, Ofsted says that, that its inspectors will expect to see how an FE provider is working to ensure that learners are progressing. Inspectors will take account of all qualifications being used to further learners' maths and English knowledge, not just GCSEs. So there's a bit of a difference in what people are feeling and what Ofsted are saying that they're doing. We do as much as we can. And now, even in our qualification, you know, we feel, I think, maths and English is the most important thing for the students anyway, you know, as in like attending them lessons and full-time learners on a study programme, drilling into them how important maths and English is. and And we do our bit as in, you know, we really monitor if they attend in the maths and English classes as well. And you still get the students that sometimes don't want to attend them, yet they'll come to our sessions to cut hair and stuff like that. And we really push them as much as we can and we try to make, yeah. we do the maths and English activities. Do you know, we can show stuff like that um, when Ofsted and inspectors come in, but it's not that easy when the, the kids are coming through with without sort of a standard grade in the beginning, yeah. you know, getting them right up to a GCSE isn't isn't an easy task but if they failed their english and maths time and again why would they want to turn up to the lesson i wouldn't want to turn up to the lesson i find this whole policy thing such a shame because i was really really keen for maths and english to get far more prominence in fe when i started about 10 years ago it was seen as a bit of a add-on you know you got to do this sorry about that and now it's central which is what we wanted but not in a way that's particularly helping really students. Helping well, we shall see, as the piece says. You know, there's so much <laughs> policy change. Who knows what will be happening this time next week? Let's move on to the next one. This is about student voice. This is a piece by Christina Donovan, who is a learner voice practitioner and graduate teaching assistant at the Department of Children, Education and Communities at Edge Hill University. Christina's done loads of work on student voice. She's concerned about the exploitation of student voice and how it can be damaging. She says many colleges misunderstanding what it means to give students a say in the learning. At worst, it's outright manipulation. You know, there's a lot of stuff within our piece that I do agree with. One thing that I don't fully agree with is when it's saying about it's not competition. Now, I know some people can find competition you know, some people's opinions, they might think that it's manipulation and stuff like that. Personally, we find it very healthy in our classroom, but I think it's the way you deliver it. Yeah. Never use competition where you're going to make another individual feel inadequate. We have, you know, good results from competitions of of what our students do. I've tried to get a lot of feedback from my students on how they feel, you know, and if some students really don't want to even be involved in a competition, 
then I'll give them that opportunity just to take a step out of it, you yeah. know. I think competition is part of life. It's just building on your existing skills. That's why I got involved in competitions myself a few years back where I wanted to put myself in the students' shoes and a few of the students asked me if I would get involved in some of the yeah. competitions. And the good thing was I got through to a lot of finals, but I didn't always come out first winning. Yeah, and that was a that was a really good example that I've said because I've seen some of my students who've done competitions and they'll get placed third or second and then some of them will go oh well because a lot of them in the practical competitions I'm talking here is an opinion at the end of the day when it comes to somebody judging you and I try to show them that you can still be very successful in what you do but not necessarily be winning. With student voice, when I'm looking at this piece that we were seeing learning through students' eyes and student feedback doesn't have to be loaded and things like that, we try to do a lot of individualised learning and we always get, you know, you always get students that have strengths in certain areas who I never ever like to use the word weakness, I'll use areas for development, who have them in other areas. And we have buddy systems. I mean, we even do that as staff. Say if it was a hairdressing class and there's maybe a skill that I was needing to deliver that one of my colleagues is a lot better at than me. Yeah. I would I would get her in and say, right, Julie's gonna show you this and we're gonna and we sort of really make each other feel good about that not one person's gonna be the best at everything and things do you know what I mean? I yeah, yeah. To, I really try to build on positivity, self esteem and then reflection on their professional practice as well. So that it's not all about sort of ticking boxes. Let's move on to the final piece, which is my column. I'm on about failure and what it feels like to fail. Because I think a lot of us as teachers, as people who are in leadership and management and policymakers, I think it's a long time since a lot of us have actually had something in front of us that says, sorry, you failed, or something that they're massively disappointed in. Because we're not constantly doing exams, we're not constantly being tested in that way. So I'm doing my open university degree. I'm my course at the moment is English Lit. My stuff is functional English. I'm the least well-read English teacher and writer going. So it's, I'm finding it challenging, and I'm trying really hard, and I'm putting loads of work in. And I've been doing really well with my essays, getting late 70s and 80s. And then I got one back and I got 60% and I was absolutely gutted. I was. I was so upset. I had a little cry and everything. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I know what you mean because that could be the same, yeah. Yeah, because I'd put loads of work in because I want to be good at it. I was so upset. I felt like I was doing quite well, but that was a fluke. I am totally rubbish at this. And it took me a few days to go right hang on you're not that good at poetry you know you find it difficult really really difficult and I thought bloody hell if I feel like this and I've been a professional writer for 20 years how does the students yeah what must it feel like to fail again and again and again especially with the GCSE stuff and we keep hearing these inspirational power of failure that gives us so much resilience But the people who are saying this, and I've said it, I'm saying that from a position of having failed, but then having passed, then getting some level of success to look back and go, oh, you know, that really did me good. There's lots of people who don't get to that position where the the failure at school or at college is how they define 
define themselves. I know, I know exactly. How do you build up that resilience? That's the thing, isn't it? Of yeah. bouncing back, getting back into it. It's not easy. It's, it's awful when you see students with that form of disappointment. I've seen students with tears. And, yeah, because yeah, it's traumatic, isn't it? Very traumatic. And it's just a case of just, again, really trying, you know, build them up as best you can for you know, to try and sort of have that open mindset and try and think positive and try. But it doesn't always work. Some people mm. it does work with and some people it just doesn't. It depends on an individual's yeah. character as well, doesn't it? Some people are really sensitive and they close down to something like that and they've got no interest in trying again at all. It can have a massive impact and effect on them, yeah. So let's finish on a more positive note. Alison, you've done all these brilliant things. You're the TESFE Awards Teacher of the Year. What are your ambitions now? Oh, I just What's want to left? sort of, you What's know, maintain. I know, I know. I want to, you know, maintain really good standards of teaching, you know. Um, if I can, it's, it's sort of more pressure now. <laughs> more pressure, teacher of the year. You've got to be good at everything. I just really want to continue what I'm doing, continue in the classroom. Keep education's massive to me. And if I think that you're having a little bit of an impact on somebody's life and you're helping them and you're helping students develop their skills even just social skills you know teaching is, is a personal thing that you know you're making a difference to somebody's life then that says it all for me that's brilliant well thanks ever so much for joining me it's been lovely talking to you brilliant thank you this has been the tesfe podcast with alison scattergood and me sarah simons join us again soon for all the fe news and views thanks for listening